1: marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown and through adaptable problem solving we do just that learn more at marines.com
2: why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them with royal caribbean you don't just go to the beach you visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in north america you don't just go for a road trip you atv and zip line through the jungle you don't just go somewhere new you rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples
0: Hello and welcome to another edition of the Forza Napoli cultural podcast. This is a podcast all about Napoli, of course, but you don't have to be a Napoli fan to enjoy it. If you're a Serie A fan, if you're a football fan, looking for the inside scoop on all things Napoli, this is the place to be. I'm your host, Joe Fischetti, Thank you, as always, for listening. I have two parts for you today in part one. I will review our match on Saturday against Sassuolo. And in part two, we'll review our latest Primavera match, which was against Genoa also on Saturday, just before the senior team played. So let's begin with the match against Sassuolo. And I'm joined by a guest to help me with this review. He's certainly no stranger to the podcast. Daniel Bowen, welcome back.
1: My man, Joe, what's up, man? Thanks for having me again.
0: It's my pleasure. So... Let's talk about the match. This was an absolute drubbing. Napoli won 6-1 on goals from Kalidou Koulibaly, Victor Osimhen, Chuki Lozano, Dries Mertens scored a doppieta and Amir Rachmani scored the sixth. Maxime Lopez scored a late consolation goal for Sassuolo. We scored three goals in the opening 19 minutes and four in the opening 21 minutes. According to Opta Paolo, it was the first time that Napoli have scored three goals in the opening 20 minutes of a match since May 31st, 2009. I don't know if you were at this one, Dan, but on that day, Francesco Montervino, Mariano Bogliacino, and Pia scored in the opening 20 minutes of a 3-0 win over Chiavo Verona. That was the final match of the 08-09 campaign, which was the first season after Roberto Pampa Sosa returned to Argentina after signing with Gimnasia on a free transfer. I mentioned Pampa because he was amongst the 10,000 or so fans in attendance for this match. We'll come back to the fans in a moment because there's quite a bit to talk about there, but I want to get Dan's general thoughts on this match first. Despite all the goals, this might have been the most infuriating 6-1 victory in the history of football.
1: Oh, man. Joe, dude, man, I'm, I'm trying to remember if I've ever been more upset at Napoli than I was during that first 20 minutes man (sighs) you know and it it wasn't just like my frustrations aren't just like one thing here or one thing there the frustrations are just like all across the board you know because dude Sassuolo is a good team and Sassuolo plays with pride it wasn't like they were just letting Napoli do that Napoli was taking it to them and if not they would have played with that type of aggression and an attacking style the entire season, we would have already wrapped up the Scudetto, man. I mean, it was so obvious that, that they were doing what they've always wanted to do. And they just haven't been given the reins to actually be let loose. I really firmly believe that, we have the best roster that we've ever had in the ADL era. And we've got the most experienced coach to win Serie A. I mean, we had Ancelotti, right? But Ancelotti, man, he's more of a manager, not a coach, man. He's good for like a big club with a lot of superstars. But from the beginning of the season, man, I knew Spalletti could be the guy. And it was obvious that he was – what we needed at the beginning of the season. And then he just started having a a passive philosophy. And as soon as that started, Napoli was never the same, man. And then in this game, it was like, man, this is what it could have been. You know, and I, I hope to God that he realizes what he actually has and he's going to be able to add a couple players that he wants and we're going to be able to get rid of some players that are really dead weight. I'm just hoping that he that he realizes what he can really do next year. For me, this year had no excuses. The best roster, the most equipped coach, Juve not what they used to be, Inter losing players like Lukaku and you know, Akimi, right? So yeah this was a year where they should have been equipped to really believe that they were the team that could go win the Scudetto. And they played that way at the beginning. And then all of a sudden you just felt like Spalletti was, okay, I'm just playing not to lose these matches. And and it felt like, okay, we get that you were brought to get them back to being in the champions league. That's what the primary objective was. But once he saw what he had, he should have kept going with it. And he didn't. And then in this game, you could tell that that is what Napoli could have been. I mean, they wouldn't have won game 6-1 all the time, right? But that attacking style, when those players are given the freedom to attack, they are unstoppable. I firmly believe that. They showed it last year when Gattuso let them play freely. They showed it at moments during this year. But that game specifically, once we have all the players healthy – you don't want to have injuries and we don't have people on AFCON and all that. When we have those players available, Spalletti's got to go for the jugular, man. And that's why I was so upset because that's what it could have been.
0: Yeah, I think as frustrating as the Empoli match was, as frustrating as the Roma match was and the Fiorentina match, that passive approach actually started much earlier in the season. The earliest I'm thinking is the Inter match. A head-to-head match against a direct rival, an opportunity to go back to the top of the table, and we took a very, very passive approach. And since then, that's really been the approach up until this match, really you know, after the match, I tweeted a list of reasons why we won this match. And now some of them were me just having a little bit of fun. I said, you know, the empty seats made it feel like an away match. I said we won because Mario Rui shaved. I'd probably even include the Retiro Permanente in there because despite what Spalletti said after the match, I don't really think this had anything to do with the retreat or the retreat dinners or whatever you want to call it. Uh, thank you to Gavin for adding one that I missed. He noted that we won this match because we wore our traditional home blue kit at home for once, which is something we haven't done a whole oh lot God. this season. <laughs> now, there were a few things we did differently in this match that we simply couldn't do in some of the previous matches. Obviously, a big one was Giovanni Di Lorenzo starting at right back. He missed four games with his injury, and our record during that stretch was one win, one draw, and two losses. Koulibaly returned from suspension, and Ospina returned from illness, so they were both missed dearly in the Empoli match. But there were a couple of things that Spalletti did differently that were within his control. As you alluded to, we didn't just sort of drop back and defend the lead. There was definitely no five-man back line. We kept on pushing forward, at least for that first quarter of the match. And then after that, we just started to dictate and control the tempo a little bit. Another thing Spalletti did differently was he played Mertens for the full 90 minutes. And I think that's one that a lot of Napoli fans are looking at and saying... Maybe if we had done that in some of these previous matches, and to your point about being more aggressive and trying to go for the jugular, we might have had some different results because he didn't start against Fiorentina, we lost the match, he didn't start against Roma, and we drew a match that we should have won, but we only scored one goal and we created next to nothing in that match. And then he started the Empoli match, which was probably too little too late, but even then... When he came off the pitch, when he was substituted off the pitch, we were winning 2-0, and then we conceded all three goals after Mertens came off. So, you know, I imagine that's one of the things that that you're looking at and saying, and I know a lot of fans are looking at it and saying, that's something Spalletti got wrong this season.
1: <sighs> yeah, man. So, for me, as soon as Napoli was playing only one game a week, that moment where we had no more Europa League and no more Coppa Italia, Merton should have been starting every single match, right? He don't have to play 90 minutes, and that's probably not the right thing to do, at least more than maybe very seldom, right? But he can definitely go 70, 75 minutes once a week. You know, man, so I messaged Eddo a few weeks back, and I said, what is the problem with y'all not starting Mertens? And he comes back and he tells me this shit. He said, hey, you're an intelligent man. Mertens is old. Merton doesn't have the energy in his legs to go 90 minutes. And I hit right back and I said, listen, man, it's once a week. And he can give you 70, 75 minutes with no issues. And then he didn't answer me. You know what I mean? So it's frustrating because for me – it was obvious, like it's a no-brainer that he should have been starting once they only had one game a week. And for Spalletti to wait until that empty match to actually start him with Ozzyman is, man, I'm not trying to be that guy, but there was a reason that wasn't happening, and it wasn't just because Spalletti's stupid. Because you have to be stupid. When you look at what they create on the pitch, not to start Mertens when it's only one game a week. You know what I mean? Just like you said, the Imply match, man, they started and they scored two straight goals, and you could tell that there was a huge difference with Mertens being on that pitch. And I don't know what the stats are, but there's something out there that, that has a stat of how many goals they get like one goal for like every 40 minutes or something. I saw something similar to that. And if you look at Merton's goal tally for the year, you know, and and the fact that he hasn't played probably more than like the minutes are probably half of what he could have played. It's so obvious to me. So that part is frustrating too, but that's been building for a few weeks. And then to see him get a brace and to play, with all that freedom, that's what Napoli should have been this year, man. You know? And what Spalletti said frustrated me even more because of the things that he said when he was asked questions and how he answered them. But Mertens, the way that he asked the questions, I was like, oh, okay, that's what we want to hear. You know what I mean?
0: On um, Mertens not playing, I think... I know the reason you're alluding to, I think another possible explanation is what we already talked about that. Again, it was that passive approach. And I think Spalletti, it was almost too attack minded to have Mertens and Osman and just go for the jugular. And I do think a part of what was sort of playing on Spalletti's decision making was this idea that we've had in the back of our minds all season and that the club is now promoting, which is that we absolutely must get into the top four. That's, primary target and maybe he was being too conservative because we were already in that position and being more attack minded is riskier it means you're probably going to concede more goals that didn't look like it in this match because we just didn't take our our foot off the gas but i think maybe that played into it a little bit as well you know for me though the number one reason why we won this match so comfortably and perhaps the same reason why we were so good at the very start of the season was because there was no longer any pressure to win the Scudetto. And that's where I might dispute the argument a little bit that this match shows us what this team is capable of. And if we just played like this, you know, every match, or at least for the last little while, then we would have won the Scudetto. For me, this match shows what this team is capable of when there's less pressure on them. And, you know, if we didn't blow the lead to Roma, and if we didn't blow the lead against Empoli, do you think they would have still pulled off this result against Oswaldo?
1: So, I mean, here's my opinion on that whole philosophy that uh, they don't know how to play under pressure. At the beginning of the season, they never looked like they weren't comfortable playing. Right? I mean, nobody felt like, "Oh, okay, you know, they're they're not confident or they're not playing hard or or whatever." Right? And for me, the reason that it's like that is because nobody can deny that the roster is full of talent, right? So if you have a coach that is telling you, that is putting out a philosophy, hey, man, we need to score goals. You know, we're not going to sit back and just play defense. And, you know, the other thing is they have great defenders. I mean, they proved at the beginning of the season that they were by far the best defense. You know what I mean? So Spalletti. I'm thinking understood that. And he knew that there was a team that was good enough to where he didn't have to play that way. He could play a more attacking style and he was okay with it. But like you said, as soon as that inter game happened at Napoli, I think that he started himself feeling the pressure from the club that if he keeps playing like that and they risk it and they lose points here and lose points there, and it was because he wasn't focused on playing defense, then the club was going to start coming at him because the club, I don't care what anybody says, the club has always only cared about Champions League, right? That is their objective. The Scudetto is never something that the club as a philosophy of what they want to do to go after it has never been that way and the quotes that ADL had during the week confirmed that for me I've had a couple moments watching the club grow and seeing what ADL is doing in the mercato and all that I've had a couple moments like okay maybe he's turning the corner but this was another year that it confirmed to me that Spalletti was feeling the pressure because he didn't want to lose what was, he didn't want to lose their place in the table. He knew that Inter and Milan were going to be up there. He knew Juve was going to make a return. So he was playing it safe. You know what I mean? So I think the club is the reason, more than anything, that he played so passively starting with that Inter game. You know, you see that. They lose against Fiorentina. They tie against Roma, right? And then that Empoli game, you know, ADL was scared that they were going to actually have a chance to lose that on Champions League. You know, he got nervous, and now everything's important, and now he wants to be at the training grounds, and now he wants, dude, where were you before? That just confirms to me that he does not care about the Scudetto. He does not want to win it. And it's frustrating for all the fans out there that have been yearning for that for several years now. Of course, we always want to be in the Champions League, man. That is where you always want to be. If you're not in the Champions League, then you're a failure, right? But at some point, you have to want to be a champion. You can't just be content with being one of the teams that's at the top, you need to want the freaking trophy. You know what I mean? So, and the couple things that Laudanthi said during his interviews, the answers that he gave, the comments that he had, the way that Spalletti answered that post-match interview, it just confirmed for me even more that that was the objective. And I get that. I get that that was the objective from the beginning of the season, but at some point, After that eight-game winning streak, you have to realize you have something special here and to keep going at it, you know what I mean? So I honestly believe Spalletti deserves at least one more year. That way he gets his, his mercato, he gets to try to get the players that he wants, and if he can come out at the beginning of the season and tell himself, hey, we are a Champions League team. It's not about that. It's about winning the Scudetto. I'm confident that they're going to be able to compete for the Scudetto next year. Let's see how they finish out the season, though. They need to finish out the season on a high note so that the the players that are coming back next year have that confidence build up and there's some momentum going into uh, the Retitos in the summer. And then the players that they're trying to sign, they can see, okay, all right, we got something here, you know what I mean? So I think it's super important for them to finish up the season not only with wins, but playing with that free attacking style that they did against Sassuolo.
0: Going back to the original question, I think it's not just the players, it's it's Spalletti as well in terms of losing that that mentality is sort of the, the explanation we give for a lot of this stuff. On De Laurentiis, there's no denying that Champions League is his top priority. Personally, I don't think he doesn't want to win the Scudetto, but I think getting in the champions league is more important to him and he's a businessman and that seems to be his top priority and i get the frustration from the fans with that part of me though also wants to put it on the league and he's one of the 20 owners so that's he also owns a part of that but i think manuel guardasola released an article on on the payouts associated with qualifying for the champions league and at minimum Napoli next year would collect about 36 and a half million euros just from participating in the Champions League and I'll break it down later but that's a bigger payout than winning the Scudetto is if I'm not mistaken so from a business standpoint I can somewhat understand why that's so important for De Laurentiis I want to transition and talk a little bit about the fans because this was another big story from this match now you weren't able to attend this match but you do go to a lot of them so i do want to get your thoughts on the treatment that the fans gave the players particularly from the ultras i think it was harder to notice watching on tv but you messaged me during the match about how it was noticeably quieter at the maradona the papers were reporting that there were plenty of whistles and jeers towards the napoli players and then of course there were the ultras I had some good dialogue with people on Twitter about this. Believe it or not, you can actually be civil with people on Twitter if you really want. To. <laughs> but the uh, are you sure about that, man? <laughs> yeah, well, everyone has to be civil, not just not just one or two people. But the ultras, the Curva B ultras, unveiled a banner before the match that read, "Those who surrender are worth less than nothing. Only the ultras have a winning mentality." Marco Lombardi of Calcio Napoli 24 posted a video of the ultras who gathered around the outside the players hotel and and they were chanting at the players on the bus and you know Insignia even came out and tried to calm them down and that did nothing but amongst the things that they were saying were you know the players should be ashamed of themselves that they're shit and that they need to go to work and and that the players are not Napoli town the ultras are I have my thoughts on this, but I'm curious to know what you think.
1: I'll be honest with you, man. The aggressive way of expressing your discontent, I understand how people would be taken back from that, you know what I mean? But not one of those chants said anything about things like where they came from or about their families or anything that was personal in nature. It was just towards the efforts that they see them playing with, right? Sometimes the things that are said seem to be a whole lot worse than they really are, but the last thing that you want to do is not express that because the players need to remember why they are playing. They're playing for the shirt. They're playing for the city. You know, that's a real thing, man. It's a job. They get paid to play. I get that. But they need to remember the passion that it takes to play for that city. They need to be able to accept that and realize that that's what the fans demand. Okay? So I don't think it's on the players – more than it is on the club and on the way that they approached matches. But if they don't express something like they did, then, then the player's going to be like, oh, okay, you know, no, no big deal. You know, I mean, and if you see the way that the stadium, I know there's been people that have been talking about it. And I've, I go to so many games that I've went through the different eras of how the fans are at the stadium and the energy At the stadium outside of the ultras is nothing like it used to be. So, if we didn't have the ultras expressing themselves the way that they do and displaying that passion for the shirt for the city, then they would just be some other club, man. They would just be some other club somewhere in Italy, and they need to express that the emotion needs to be part of a player that plays for Napoli and Michele Borelli from getting Napoli tickets. I was going back and forth with him. He was in the curva and I was just asking him a few questions and, and, you know, he explained to me some of the banners that they had up. He explained to me that nobody was celebrating the goals from the ultras when they would score. And the fact that they were whistled at the end of the game. And one of the things that he told me, is that when they were doing that, Koulibaly got really upset. And I'm happy. Because if Koulibaly didn't get upset, then that means he doesn't care. You know what I mean? You want the players to get upset. You want them to be offended because they need to understand what it means. And Koulibaly definitely understands what it means to play for the city. Cheeto definitely understands what it means to play for the city. There's some other players that haven't been there very long that probably haven't really grasped what that really means. So I'm glad that this happened because the players need to understand that it's about that freaking Scudetto, man. That is what the fans want. We want glory. We don't want to see Champions League games anymore. Okay? That is over. It's not about that. It is about winning the Scudetto, and that entire roster needs to understand that. So I'm happy that the fans did that in that game. I'm happy that the Ultras expressed themselves the way they did. And as long as the players finish out the season like they care, then the Ultras are going to be right back on their side, man. I mean, that's how I feel about it. I understand how some may not feel that way, and they feel like, They took that stuff a little bit too far, but I would rather them take it too far than not to be doing anything at all.
0: Okay. I mean, I think that's fair. And I think that's for anyone who has no issues with how they reacted. I think that's the explanation most people would give. Let me give you my thoughts. And let me just say, before I give my opinion that I've always maintained that fans are entitled to support the club. However, they deem fit. And this is my view, but, when I look at this, and now, I was born and raised in Toronto, Canada. I've watched football all my life, but I also grew up watching North American sports. And in North America, that type of behavior probably wouldn't be considered acceptable. So I, I'm i coming from that sort of perspective. But my view is that to organize an event, to meet outside of the player's hotel, to chant at them that they're shit, is just going too far. Now, I get what you're saying. What they probably meant was that the way they're playing is shit, or maybe their attitude, their their approach to the matches, their shit. The the way I initially reacted to it was that they're insulting another human being. And, you know, I get it. These fans are upset and they have a right to be upset after the last couple of matches. I get that they attend every match and they pay money to go to these matches, home and away, and they sit there in the rain or the snow or the sun or whatever weather, and, and they're the ones making all the noise. But at the end of the day, these are still human beings. Yes, they're paid a lot more money than most people. I mean, you kind of mentioned how it's a job. In most jobs, I don't think if the employees are not performing at their standard, I don't think a boss would come and say, hey, employee, you're shit, right? They would come <laughs> and they would, they would do other things that are a bit more civil. And, you know, right. I think my expectation is if you want to show your discontent with the club, and again, this is just my opinion. Everyone can disagree and that's fine. But if you want to show your discontent, do what all the other fans did and go to the stadium and whistle them in jeer, or better yet, don't go at all. Just, you know, a lot of fans chose to do that. Like I said, only 10,000 tickets were sold roughly in that area. So don't go to the, to the match at all. But to me, I just didn't get a good feeling from seeing these fans. And, and I know, like you said, they'll be back there and they'll be supporting and they'll be making all the noise in the stadium. But that, it's hard for me to reconcile that. And and maybe it is just because I'm not the you know, I'm not there every day and I'm not going to every single match.
1: I understand where you're coming from, Joe. I really do. And and I understand anybody that would be taken back by it. I just feel like it's more important to be that way than it is to not do anything at all. You know, just to go through the motions of the rest of the season. The scudetto, there's there's even that game mathematically it wasn't like impossible but everybody knew that it was over and everybody knew that the champions league was just about wrapped up so there isn't really anything specific to play for the rest of the season but the fact that you need to understand what it means to play for this city you know what i mean and understand what the what the actual prize is, which is the Scudetto. So the ultras doing that, it seems like it was completely directed towards the players because of what they specifically said. And they were doing it while the players were on the bus going wherever they were. But it's not just about that, man. It's not just about the players. It's about the whole, you know, as they say, societa, the whole club, it's towards them, you know, it's towards the entire thing, not just the players. So I'm glad they did it to be honest, because they need to be able to express themselves. As long as Napoli comes out and plays hard against Torino, then it's not going to be like that when they play the last game at home. I guarantee you the ultras will be completely behind them, but they needed to express themselves because those last three matches that Napoli played was straight doo-doo. It was. From, from all the angles of the match, too. It wasn't just, okay, their offense was really, really good, but their defense was crap or vice versa. Or, the, you know, the, they, they didn't approach the, the game. It was everything about all three of those matches, man. That Roma match at the end, when that goal went in, they should have had like 50 shots on goal in that extra time and they didn't even have one so that's where the ultras are coming from and i get it and i'm glad that they did it i would have been much more upset if they just went through the motions like let's say the ultras didn't even show up to the game and didn't do that before that would have been depressing for me because then i would see that the ultras are sort of giving up you know what i mean and that's the last thing that we want
0: okay i mean that's a fair point let's close with something a bit more positive and I know it's something that you just mentioned is not quite as important as winning the Scudetto, but with that win, along with Roma's 0-0 draw against Bologna on Sunday, we have qualified for the Champions League with three matches left to play. Like we said, again, the goal changed mid-season, but we all desperately wanted to get back into the Champions League. We desperately wanted to win the Scudetto, but we also wanted to get back into the Champions League. How important of an accomplishment is that, considering that we missed it over the last two seasons?
1: So, we'll all look back on this season in the summer and realize how important it was to get back to the Champions League, right? A lot of emotions are out there right now, and we don't, I mean, even me, my emotions take the best of me sometimes, but we got to understand how important it was, especially the way that things have been over the last two or three years, right? So, after 2018, you know, a big letdown. Really good team had a chance to win the Scudetto towards the end of that season, you know. And then the Inter U of A match happens. Then they go to Florence, and we all know what happens there. So, like pretty much since then, it's been really, really frustrating to see where Napoli was going and where they could have actually ended up, right? So, getting back to the Champions League, number one, it's going to keep some players there that want to play in champions league. It's hopefully going to help get some players, right? It's going to, it's a positive thing for that. And then like you said, ADL's a businessman, right? So the money that he's getting from champions league is important too. the extra revenue that we're going to, you know, that the club's going to get in from that. Everything that's happening. It is extremely important. If they didn't make champions league this year, that would have been a massive failure. You know what I mean? And I think people realize that during the summer. Let's just hope that ADL expresses that he knows what he has and he can actually get some players with money that's coming in that can make a difference. You know, that's the only thing I'm worried about. If we end up getting players that – can't really contribute, they might not be a, a full-time starter. I mean, what difference is that really going to make? We're losing Insigne, so we have to find a full-time starter there. And do we think it can really be Elmas? I I don't know. Elmas has never really been given the opportunity to grab onto one position and to really make that his his thing, you know what I mean? So is he ready for that? I don't know. He's talented enough, but is he mentally ready? You know, it hasn't been announced, but we signed uh, – I call him K-Town, man. I'm not going to try to pronounce that name, but the dude from Georgia. We yeah. signed him, and you look at the highlights, man. He looks like he's super talented, but he is really young too, and he hasn't played you know, in a real league. So is he going to be a full-time starter? I don't think so. So hopefully we can get one or two players that can contribute – immensely because we're going to need that to stay competitive to win the Scudetto. And all the rumors that you hear right now, you know, whether they're real or not, there's not many rumors out there that make you really feel that way yet. Right. So I don't know. We'll see what ADL does, man. I know he's not going to sell Ozzy, man. I know that's not happening because he is not going to give in to not getting what his value is, and you know that he wants him one more year so his value can go even further up. So I'm not nervous about that at all. And then, you know, there's other players like Lozano that people, you know, think is going or or want to go. But, dude, man, if you see what they can do with Lozano, Ozyman, and Mertens all playing at the same time, if they're given the freedom, they're unstoppable. Lozano has his faults, man, but that dude is fast. When he's given the freedom, he's aggressive. He finds his areas near the box. He doesn't really have that choking problem that when he's near goal, that he doesn't really shoot on goal. You know, so I'm hoping that that doesn't happen. I really don't want Lozano to be sold, and I don't think he will be. And then we know Fabian's going to be sold, at least we hope so, because – If he's not sold, then he goes on the free next summer. So you know that's going to happen, but hopefully ADL isn't too stubborn with his transfer fee and he gets what he can get from him now instead of him letting him go for free next summer, you know?
0: Yeah, I mean, all of the players that we've been linked to are sort of these young, talented players that have a lot of upside, and you hope that they're like Victor who fulfill that potential, but they're risky plays. So yeah, it would be good to see one or two Veteran players that have winning experiences. You know, Delorentis did his rounds with the media and he mentioned how he had Ibrahimovic all signed up and then Gatuzo told him, you know, he didn't need him or whatever. So we'll see if maybe they can bring in a guy like Ibra because I wonder, you know, if he might have changed the feeling in the locker room.
1: I think Ibra would have been a huge risk. It could have been an amazing move, but it also could have turned into a nightmare. So I don't know if I'm upset with that not happening. And I can honestly see Gattuso saying, hey, man, we don't need that dude.
0: Yeah, I maybe see on the pitch, but I mean, I look at Milan, and Ibra hasn't actually played a whole lot this season, but they're finding ways yeah. to get a result. So I don't know, maybe it's just like a, a captain-type player-coach that, that is uh, motivating the players.
1: And the other thing is, Joe, I mean, so since ADL has been the owner, when has he ever signed a proven winner that's a veteran like somebody that has won league titles that doesn't just happen to be somebody that was on the club and they were young and they were just happened to be there right so you're gonna probably go to Caleon. you're probably gonna go to Higuain you're gonna go to Rado Albiol, right but what was their role on that team that wasn't a big big signing for me even Higuain Higuai had his issues with Real Madrid. We all know that, right? So he didn't cost that much. And I'm not saying that ADL needs to spend a whole bunch of money on a transfer fee or need to accept some player's salary that's way more than it should be other than Cavani, man. If Cavani came, oh, shit, if he came back, oh, ooh. Um, god, that would be awesome. But I know that ain't happening. But it would be nice if he could find a veteran that's in his twilight that has won multiple league titles that has that motivational leadership behind them, a la Ribari with Salernitana. You know what I mean? Somebody like that. I mean, I don't know what ribari's salary is with Salernitana, but I, I know it's not something that that is astronomical, and Laudintes shouldn't be able to make that sacrifice. A player like that is what I'm talking about. Somebody that's in his twilight that's not going to be able to – play every game and play all 90 minutes or, but somebody that can just instill that killer instincts as a player within some of the players that are still trying to figure that out. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, no, you're right. It's definitely not the De Laurentiis MO to bring in a, a seasoned vet like that. So yeah, you're right. We'll see. Hopefully we can, we can figure something out. I mentioned the financial. So let me just quickly provide a breakdown of how this works for anyone who's interested. So, The Champions League payouts are are based on four categories. First, there's just a a pool of money that's divided amongst all of the participants equally. So we'll get 15.64 million euros just from that pool alone, which is greater than the entire payout we collected from the Europa League this season. So again, it gives you a a sense of the significance of playing in the Champions League. Then there's a payout based on your 10-year ranking in the Champions League which is still pretty high for Napoli because we've been there for so long. Yes, we missed the last two seasons, but over a 10-year period, we've been there for most of them. I think we're 19th on that list, so we would get just under €16 million for that. Then the third component is a market pool, which is based on where you finish in the league and how far you get in the tournament. Now, even if we were to finish fourth in the league and get eliminated in the group stage, we would still collect €5 million from that market pool. So, just based on the first three components, that's where this minimum guarantee of 36.5 million euros comes from. Then there are bonuses based on how far you advance in the competition. So, if you get to the round of 16, you get an additional 9.6 million euros. If you get to the quarterfinals, there's an additional 10.6. Semi-finals, an additional 12.5 million. Reaching the finals gets you another 15.5 million, and then winning the finals gets you 4.5. Now, I don't imagine we're going to win the Champions League anytime soon, but it's a pretty big payout, even if you just get to the, the group stage or the round of 16. Yeah, yeah, just the group
1: stage, man. I mean, will we get another group of death? Who knows? But for some reason, it feels like Napoli more often than not gets the group of death in the Champions League. So we'll see who we draw on that. But um, it would be nice, I think, for them to get past the group stage. But if they want to win the scudetto, much further than that, you know, it might, it might hinder their ability to, to get the results in the, uh, the domestic league like they really want to get. So we'll see. I wish the Coppa Italia wasn't even a thing.
0: <laughs> yeah. I'm yeah, joking, I mean, man. if if it weren't for the Coppa Italia, we wouldn't have any trophies at all since nineteen ninety. Oh so
1: man! But I'm telling that. you, I just I wish the Coppa Italia just wasn't a thing. You yeah. know the two trophies we got. I Man, I'm good. Maybe they should look at the Coppa Italia being something that is like played by all the non Champions League teams or something. I don't know.
0: Yeah, in terms of the Champions League draw, I think we should just assume that we're going to get the group of death, and then if we don't, <laughs> <just> <laughs> let's yeah. set the bar really low there, and then we, we yeah get that disappointed. Then that's all we have time for today. So thank you so much for coming on the show.
1: All right, Joe, I appreciate it, man. I love your show. I I love it. So I really appreciate what you do, man. I really do.
0: Thank you so much. That means a lot to me. It honestly does. Of course, you can find Dan on Twitter at Azzurro Bowen. So that will do for part one. In part two, I'll review our latest Primavera match. Welcome to part 2 of the Forza Napoli podcast. Next, let's review our Primavera match against Genoa on Saturday. This was a huge match in the battle for survival. Coming into this match, Genoa were sitting in one of the two relegation playout positions. They were one point back of Lecce in the other playout position and three points back of us. So this result could have huge implications for both of these clubs fortunately genoa were in really poor form heading into this match they had won only one of their previous 13 matches that one win was a 1-0 victory over Sampdoria. though they did draw five matches during that stretch curiously that was almost identical to a poor run of matches that napoli went through before our back-to-back wins over roma and fiorentina we had only one win in our previous 13 matches and we had also drawn 5 matches during that stretch. So both of these clubs came into this match not having very good second halves of the season, but we at least had come off back-to-back victories, so I guess you could say Napoli were in better form. Nicolo Frustalupi had a full squad at his disposal, so with that, let's get to the starting lineups. Genoa lined up in a 4-3-1-2 formation with Jacopo Corchi in goal, Daniele Bolcano and Armando Gini started at center back, Gianluca Parodi started at left-back and Alessandro Marcandalli started at right-back. Erian Sadiku started in the center of the midfield with Michele Besaggio to his left and Federico Macca to his right. Federica Acornero played as the trequartista, and Michele Ambrosini and Adam Bamba played at striker. For Napoli, Frustalupi continued to roll with the same squad that he used in our previous few matches. He lined up in a 3-4-1-2 formation with Huberti Dasiak in goal. Davide Costanzo, Daniel Hisai, Benedetto Barba played as the back three. Coli Sacco and Gennaro Iacarino started in the center of the midfield. Davide Acampa started at left wing back and Giuseppe D'Agostino started at right wing back. Antonio Vergara played in the trequartista, And Antonio Trofi and Giuseppe Ambrosino played as the dual strikers. So those were the starting lineups. Next, let's get to the match. I thought both sides were a little bit tentative in the first half. Napoli looked like the more positive side early in the match, but we weren't able to create any clear-cut chances. Our best chance came at the half-hour mark after Sacco crossed the ball from the left side of the midfield. Ambrosino did really well to control the ball at the edge of the area before playing an extra pass to D'Agostino on the right wing. He played an in-swinging cross from the right edge of the area. Trophy won the header over Marcandalli, but he was unable to get his head over the ball and the shot finished just over the bar. Though we didn't create much, Chofi was our most dangerous player in the half. He got another chance about 5 minutes before the break after Akampa played him down the left wing. Chofi ran at Genie, cut to his left and shot from a tight angle. He hit the target but Korchi was there to make the save. Now it's no coincidence that we didn't have many chances in the half, I thought Genoa defended really well. When they didn't have the ball or in the non-possession phase as they say, they had 10 men behind the ball so it was really difficult for us to break through. And then on the odd occasion that we did break through, they still had numbers back and got bodies in front of our shots. They blocked 4 or 5 chances in the first half alone. Meanwhile, Bamba was their focal point in the attack. He was the target of the long ball in the 11th minute and he did well to lay it off to a He played a quick through ball to Ambrosini in the area, however Costanzo did well to force Ambrosini wide so his shot flashed across the face of the goal and rolled harmlessly out for a goal kick near the corner flag. Then about midway through the half, Bezzaggio played another long ball to Bamba at the left corner. He cut the ball back to Maka, but Barba stepped in front of the shot and I thought Barba was our best player in the first half. Genoa attacked on the break in the 28th minute with Maka carrying the ball through midfield. He tried to play a diagonal through ball for Bamba but Barba slid over and intercepted the pass. Bamba had one more chance before the break on a cross by Bezaggio but this time Costanzo stepped up to make the block. So the first half ended nil-nil which wasn't a shock given the timid approach from both sides. Now I don't know what Luca Capino said to his boys during the break but Genoa started the second half really well. Only a couple minutes after the restart, Sadiko dispossessed Iaccarino at midfield. Then Bezzaggio played a perfect through ball for a in the area. He shot towards the near post, but Idasic made the save. Then a few minutes later, Ambrosini won a free kick just outside the area on the right side. Bezzaggio took the free kick and played an outswinging cross to the second post. Volcano got a free header, but Barba made another block. A few minutes after that, Ambrosini played an incisive pass to a in the area. He cut to his left before going to ground hoping for a penalty. There was definitely contact from Vergara, but I guess the official felt there was insufficient contact to warrant a penalty. Personally, I think we might have gotten away with one there. However, Genoa got the retribution a minute later. He side-played a poor pass intended for D'Agostino. Bezaggio got to the ball first and played a sombrero over D'Agostino before playing the ball down the line to Acornado. He played the return pass to Bezaggio at the edge of the area. Vergara appeared to clip Bezaggio as he took the shot but again the official didn't call the foul. In the meantime Sacco blocked the shot but the ball fell perfectly for Macca who side footed his shot just inside the post and into the bottom corner of the goal. The bounce from the block was fortuitous, but Maka took his goal really well, and you can't say that Genoa didn't deserve a goal for how well they started the second half. After the goal, Frustalupi immediately replaced Vergara with Alessandro Spavone. I thought that was the correct decision. As great as Vergara has been this season, this was probably his worst performance, but that happens to everyone every once in a while. Things got worse before they got better and Genoa really should have scored a second goal. First in the 56th minute, Gini cleared Ambrosino's cross and Genoa immediately countered. Bamba dropped to receive the pass and sprung Ambrosini. He carried the ball to the edge of the area before squaring to corner. He dribbled to the left of Barba before putting a powerful shot on target, but Idasiak made the save. Then the rebound fell to Bamba but Costanzo got just enough of a touch on the shot. For the ball to roll just wide of the post. A few minutes later, Parodi dispossessed Spavona at midfield. A corner played the return pass to Parodi on the left side of the area, but his low shot just missed the far post. Finally, in the 64th minute, Marcandali outmusled trophy off the ball before passing to Maka. He played a one-touch pass to Ambrosini at the edge of the area. Ambrosini turned and fired on target, but his shot curled straight into the gloves of Idasiak. So Genoa dominated the first part of the second half but Napoli finally woke up after that. In the 75th minute Acampa switched the play to Marchisano on the right side. Now Marquezano was on having replaced Giuseppe D'Agostino and at the same time Antonio Pesce replaced Chofi who walked off holding his shoulder so we'll have to see if that was anything serious but Marquezano played a long ball forward to Spavone. Spavone beat Parodi to the ball and then slowed down to control the ball just inside the area. Parodi didn't slow down and instead ran into the back of Spavone. Spavone went to the ground and the official pointed to the spot. Personally, I thought this was a bit of a harsh decision, but later in the match, I thought Spavone was fouled in the area and the penalty wasn't given, so for me, the two plays evened out. Ambrosino stepped up to take the penalty and he smashed the ball straight down the middle of the goal just under the bar to make the score 1-1. That was his 18th goal of the season his third from the spot and his fourth in as many matches. About 10 minutes later the fans in Cercola thought we scored a second. Costanzo was first to the long ball by Corchi. Pesce laid it off to Yacarino and he passed to Ambrosino. Ambrosino dribbled into the area and went for goal. He hit the ball well but he hit the outside of the goal so for a second it looked like he might have scored when in fact the ball missed the target. Genoa had one final chance before the end of the match but Idasiak made another save to protect the draw so in the end the match finished 1-1. Now although this was a match we really ought to have won at home, the draw wasn't a terrible result we won the first meeting 2-1 so we now own the head to head advantage. We also finally got some favourable results around the league, Empoli beat Milan 3-1 so they moved 2 points clear of us in the table. But Milan fell 1 point back of us. Juve beat Torino so we are now level with them on 40 points and we also own the head to head advantage over them as well. Lecce lost to Sampdoria so they are now 3 points behind us. And Hellas Verona drew Atalanta to stay level with us on 40 points. So to summarize, we are now level with Torino and Hellas Verona on 40 points. Milan is 1 point behind us on 39 points. And Genoa and Lecce are in the 2 playout positions tied on 37 points. We have two matches remaining against Spal and Hellas Verona. Spal is second from the bottom of the table, and they're already relegated, so hopefully we win that match and secure salvation next round. So that will do for this review. That will also do for this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please share it with a friend and leave us a rating on your favorite podcast platform. As always, if you'd like to get a hold of me, you can find me on Twitter at Joe underscore 5 and you can find the podcast on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Patreon at Pod. I'll be back in a few days to preview our next match, which is against Torino, but until then, I'm Joe Fischetti, Forza Napoli Semper. Podcast Network.